Well, I know that um, we are recording these, uh, these sessions and um, that there are a number of people that will be listening from home. And so if you're listening, I want to, uh, to welcome you and to, um, to thank you for joining in on us. I uh, wanted to also communicate to you uh, that if you're staying at home, that's an okay decision to make, that you're fine in doing that. And that I um, wanted to let you know that we're, we're, we're moving forward with some things that will maybe aid uh, in that. We already do record these sermons and make them available on the website, but some don't have uh, computers or access maybe to, to those, and so we will uh, make a few of these available on CD, and uh, Shelby will duplicate those uh, as well. So if uh, you're listening and you would like that in, and, uh, in, in that manner, or if you uh, would like one in here today, do let Shelby know, and we'll make sure we get enough of those, um, of those made. Um, I'll repeat what we kind of mentioned earlier as a church. We're just taking the necessary precautions as we meet that we're just uh, doing diligence in washing our hands and trying not to touch our faces. Those are the things that the medical professionals are, are telling us uh, to do. Uh, they're not preventing us from gathering together as of yet, and, uh, and particularly with the numbers of our, of our church. But for those that are uh, vulnerable uh, in, the, in terms of their age or their pre-existing health conditions, I think it's a wise thing to just take extra precaution, and so we will certainly support you in that. And um, we're happy to aid uh, that decision in whatever way we can. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, it's been an interesting time that we've been talking through Ecclesiastes, that it would go well with uh, the things, the circumstances of our world today, particularly when we consider God's providential governing of all things. And I just want to begin by um, looking at the very first verse we're going to look at today. We're picking up uh, really where we left off. We ended in verse 12 of chapter 9, and we're going to pick up in chapter 9, verse 13. And really, the last few sections have been really honing in on God's providential governing of even uh, of the authorities of this world, because he appoints those authorities, and really how we are to react uh, to those authorities, and, um, and how we're to live in light of their uh, reign over us. Um, and here in verse 13, he begins with this, this wisdom I have also seen under the sun, and it seemed great to me. And I want to just ask, what wisdom, this wisdom, I mean, Solomon's talked a lot about wisdom. Well, wisdom specifically from the previous uh, verses. If you look at uh, verse 11 there, he, he sort of had that little poem, the race is not to the swift nor the battle to the strong. Um, when we consider God's providential control over the events of, of a life, um, it means we, we can't necessarily uh, dictate the outcome of those events, right? That's what that idea is there. Um, and we must consider wisdom's place in all of it. And my question is, do we, do we exercise that? Does, does wisdom have any value at all in times like this? Um, we do have to consider that. And obviously the short answer is, well, yes, <laughs> we must understand the way of wisdom in light of God's providence. And that's what we've titled the sermon today, the way of wisdom. And we have to understand that in light of God's providence. He is in, in control, but it doesn't mean we, oh, what's that phrase? Let go and let God, Right. That is almost an excuse to, I'm just going to do nothing, right? Absolutely nothing, uh, which is not the way of wisdom. We're to exercise uh, wisdom. And we also must understand that wisdom in light of living in a fallen world, where that wisdom isn't necessarily exercised. Wisdom has value, but then it's often confronted by uh, the foolish of this world. And when it is, those, those foolish um, often devalue wisdom. We need to seek wisdom like it's silver, you know, Solomon says, like it's a treasure. Uh, but even the upright can be uh, thwarted by the foolishness of others, the folly of others. Um, one of the words I've mentioned a few times today is that word prudence. Um, prudence is very close relationship to wisdom. Prudence is exercising skill and judgment. In fact, the actual definition is caution or, caution or circumspection as to danger or risk. That's prudence. And I want to just throw up a couple of Proverbs for you. Proverbs 8, um, 12 is one of them. It says this, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge and discretion. See, wisdom and prudence go hand in hand. If you have wisdom, you're going to have prudence. It dwells with prudence. Proverbs 16, 21, the wise in heart will be called prudent. If you are 
truly seeking wisdom and exercising wisdom, then you are also exercising prudence. But there's um, a It's an aspect of the wisdom. It's where the real skill and judgment comes in. It is where we exercise caution. And should should Christians be cautious? Well, yes, of course we should. Uh, It doesn't mean we're fearful. That's a different word. I didn't say should we be fearful, but should we be cautious? And we certainly should be. We should be wise, particularly in times like this. And I hope you'll find great value from this passage that's before us today. We're going to read verses 13 through the end of chapter 9, all the way through the end of chapter 10 today. So let's look at this passage beginning in verse 13. This wisdom I have also seen under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a, a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it, besieged it, and built great snares around it. Now there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that same poor man. Then I said, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. Words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard rather than the shout of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart at his left. Even when a fool walks along the way, he lacks wisdom, and he shows everyone that he is a fool. If the spirit of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your post, for conciliation pacifies great offenses. There is an evil I have seen under the sun as an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in great dignity, while the rich sit in a lowly place. I have seen servants on horses, while princes walk on the ground like servants. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and whoever breaks through a wall will be bitten by a serpent. He who quarries stones may be hurt by them, and he who splits wood may be endangered by it. If the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength. But wisdom brings success. A serpent may bite when it is not charmed, The babbler is no different. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool shall swallow him up. The words of his mouth begin with foolishness, and the end of his talk is raving madness. A fool also multiplies words. No No man knows what is to be. Who can tell him what will be after him? The labor of fools wearies them, for they do not even know how to go to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child. And your princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobles, and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Because of laziness, the building decays, and through idleness of hands, the house leaks. A feast is made for laughter, and wine makes merry, but money answers everything. Do not curse the king, even in your thought. Do not curse the rich, even in your bedroom. For a bird of the air may carry your voice, and a bird in flight may tell the matter. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we just need you today. What a joy we we have before us to open your word, but we recognize that we need your, your spirit to illuminate truth. Lord, many wise words, many proverbs here from Solomon, Lord, and I pray that you just give us the discernment and the wisdom to understand what's being said today and how really to apply it to our lives, particularly in the the time that we find ourselves in where wisdom is so needed, so crucial. So God, be with us. Bless our time together in your word, we pray, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, just a few points today. First, uh, Solomon starts here with the greatness of wisdom. The greatness of, of wisdom is my first point. And, and looking at verse 13 again, um, he says, The wisdom I have also seen under the sun, and it seemed great to me. Now, in this opening verse, Solomon is looking at uh, wisdom that he calls great. And that word great is gadol. Gadol, and it means uh, great in importance or great in number is the idea. And I want to point out as we begin this that Solomon is going to use a lot of wordplay, a lot of contrast in this passage. He's a very wise man, and he uses a lot of creativity. Uh, so we have to throw up a lot of words today. 
So I'm just warning you, because a lot of them uh, are interplaying, there's play on words, there's uh, double meanings, and those kind of things to get his point across. So be patient. But there's your first one, is that he talks about this wisdom, and it's great. Now keep that in mind as he gives us an example of this great wisdom. And here comes the example in verse 14. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it and built great snares around it. So we have this great wisdom, and now a little city. And little is Catan. Small, insignificant, and unimportant is what that means. There's a great game we love called Settlers of Catan. I know where they got this word from now. Small little island, and you're trying to... Anyway, so we have this great wisdom, and we have this little city, and a great king comes against this little city, same word used for great, Gadol, and he besieges the city and he builds great snares around it. Great, again, is the same word around this little city. So obviously you have this big contrast. He wants us to make sure we get the picture, right? Great wisdom is like this little city, but this great king, and he comes and he fights with these Great um, snares. Now, what is the word for snares? What does he mean when he says that? It's matsod, matsod, and it's uh, it's the siege works. It's the the ramparts. It's the bulwarks that they would build when they would go and siege, you know, a, 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 a walled city. That's how you would have to get in, right? You'd build these these ramps. Anyone been to Masada in Israel? They still have the remnants of the ramps that the Romans built to conquer Masada. I mean, it's just, you just, it's remarkable, but they would build this, this way, basically just come on into the city, right? Or at least get up to the top where they can bash uh, down the walls and get in. That's the idea here. That word, snares, matsod, is the same word that's used um, or translated as net up there in verse 12. If you just peek back up, it says that, that uh, a man does not know his time like fish taken in a cruel net or a cruel snare. Same word used. Now, why use that word if he means siege works? Well, he's getting creative because net is also a way to snare them, but it's a a legitimate siege works that he's built. And you guys might remember Sennacherib, the Assyrian king, when he came to attack Jerusalem when Hezekiah was uh, king. And there is an extra biblical biblical text, so it's not in the Bible, uh, something that a Syrian king wrote. Sennacherib wrote this. It's in the ancient Near Eastern texts that relate to the Old Testament. And he says this, as to Hezekiah the Jew, he did not submit to my yoke. I laid siege to 46 of his strong cities, walled forts into the countless small villages in their vicinity, and I conquered them. Himself, I made a prisoner in Jerusalem, his royal residence, like a bird in a cage. So from uh, Sennacherib's viewpoint, because he had walled Hezekiah in, he was in a snare. He was trapped, right? So that's the kind of picture. You have this great king. He's built this great siege work against this this little city. And we have to come to verse 15. Now there was found in it a poor wise man. And he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that same poor man. Now you remember back, back to verse 11, I pointed out, the battle is not always to the strong. Solomon has just given us an example of how that can be, Right? What was it that gave that little city victory over all the things that were great? A poor, wise man. Now, remember, this is a view from under the sun. I mean, if you look back at 13, this wisdom I have also seen under the sun. So this is under the sun. This is not taking into, uh, this is looking at wisdom's place within God's providence. It's that um, vertical, uh, horizontal view, not the vertical view. And here's the idea. You have this great, 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 all these great things in this little city, but which one won? The little city because of the greatness of that man. He was poor. And what we're doing is we're looking at, did this man use wisdom? He did. Now, he doesn't tell us how. He doesn't tell us what the wisdom was. But he used wisdom in some way, and in some way was able to get him out of the situation. We have a great example of that in Scripture. It's in 2 Samuel 20, if you want to turn there. And as you're turning there, just make a left-hand turn a few books to your left. 2 Samuel 20, we'll begin in verse 16, but I'll set it up for you. You might remember Sheba. Sheba rebels against King David. He goes around saying, yeah, we don't want this king anymore. I'll be king. And he gets a bunch of followers. Well, Joab, David's sort of like, you know, leader of the military, pursues Sheba. And he takes a bunch of men to pursue him. 
And they end up trapping him like a bird in a net, trapping him in a city called Avel. And they make a siege mound against it. And they're battering the wall down to get to this, this guy until this wise woman appears from the city wall. So in 2 Samuel 20, verse 16, here this woman appears. Then a wise woman cried out from the city, Here, here, please say to Joab, come nearby that I may speak with you. So when he had come near to her, the woman said, Are you Joab? He answered, I am. And then she said to him, Hear the words of your maidservant. And he answered, I'm listening. So she spoke, saying, They used to talk in former times, saying, They shall uh, surely seek guidance at Avel. So that's the place that they're at. And so they would end disputes. I am among the peaceable and faithful in Israel. You seek to destroy a city and a mother in Israel. Why would you swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? And Joab answered and said, far be it, far be it from me that I should swallow up or destroy. That is not so. But a man from the mountains of Ephraim, Sheba, the son of Bichri by name, has raised his hand against the king, against David. Deliver him only, and I will depart from the city. So the woman said to Joab, watch, his head will be thrown to you over the wall. And then the woman, and here it is, in her wisdom went to all the people. And they cut off the head of Sheba, the son of Bichri, and threw it out to Joab. Then he blew a trumpet, and they withdrew from the city, every man to his tent. So Joab returned to the king at Jerusalem. So here we are. We have this great uh, example here. This, this was, w- woman, right? She's, you just say this like the poor wise man, right? Here she's just this woman. She's not a warrior in the city, delivers the city from Joab and his men because she delivered Sheba to him, or at least part of Sheba to him. So you see the great contrast here, right? Great wisdom under the sun found within the little city in the person of a poor wise man was better than the strength of a great king. But we're never given the name of the woman here in this account in 2 Samuel, just like we're never given the name of the poor wise man. He goes without recognition. He goes without reward. And so the question could be, should we use it then? Does it have value? Well, yes, obviously. They were able to save the city. But the point is, it might not often be recognized. You might not receive reward for it. But it was valuable. And his conclusion in verse 16 is this. Then I said, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. So he concludes just saying wisdom is better than strength. We've seen this idea uh, before. Back in chapter 7, verse 12, Solomon said wisdom is a defense, just like money is a defense. Do you remember that? Uh, he was speaking about in this, this is a perfect scenario for that. That's how it's a defense. In, in uh, a few verses later, in chapter 7, verse 19, he said wisdom strengthens the wise more than 10 rulers of the city. You can just look, that, look at this as a great example of that. Here's a poor wise man. He obviously wasn't the ruler, but he's able to deliver them uh, from the city. And what he's done is he's given us a great example of the strength of, of wisdom here. And so look at verse 17, words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard rather than the shout of a ruler of fools. So the quiet spoken words of the poor wise men, those words are the words that we should hear. But that's not the typical person we listen to. That's not the typical person you're going to want to get the wisdom from. We more readily listen to the wealthy. We more readily listen to the powerful. We more readily listen to the media and we believe everything they say. Now, I want to give you a great example. This is, this is a perfect example of the shouts of the ruler of fools. This quote I'm going to put up on the screen, you go ahead, is from MSNBC, which is a, a nationally televised, you know, news anchor-led um, thing. Now, this was a quote of a tweet that came in as, as he discussed this idea with a, um, uh, a woman who was on the board for the New York Times. So the New York Times and you have the news anchor for MSNBC, and what they're discussing is something around the presidential election. And one of the candidates was a guy named Michael Bloomberg who was very, very wealthy. Well, he has dropped out of the race. He's not in it. But here's what this tweet came in. They took the tweet, they put a visual up on the screen, and they discussed its relevance. And here's what it says, okay? It says, Bloomberg spent $500 million of his own money on ads, so advertisement to promote his, you know, um, presidential run. The U.S. population is 327 million. He could have given each American 1 million and still have money left over. 
I feel like one million check, a one million dollar check would be a life-changing for most people, yet he wasted it all on ads and he still lost. Now they bring this, they put it up, and then they say, see, this is a great example. This is what I'm saying. They should not have this kind of money in politics. Now, they said it with such confidence that I almost went for it, and then I stopped and I started thinking. I went, this doesn't add up. How can one man's money be enough to give a million dollars to every human being? Now, some people are nodding. You're already thinking about your math. Because if I gave one dollar to 10 people in this room, I've given $10. If I gave one dollar to 100 people in this room, I've given $100. If I give one dollar to 327 million people, I've given $327 million. Not one million apiece. Nationally televised. Now, this passed through the producer, the director, the visuals department. They put this on, and they're saying, us, yeah, this, is, this t- makes total sense. The shouts of the rulers of fools is a perfect example. This was last week. If you go home and, and Google MSNBC mathematical blunder, you'll get tons of stuff that will come up because instantly people began tweeting saying, how does this get on TV? And they came back after the ads and said, so um, we're apparently bad at math and disregard everything we said. <laughs> the simple believe every word, but the prudent considers his steps well. Proverbs fourteen fifteen says... The simple believe every word, but to be prudent, you've got to consider your steps well. Part of the problem that they bought into that line and sinker is that they already made their decision. In their minds, they had their opinion settled. Money, that kind of money, doesn't belong in a presidential race. Oh, here's a great quote. Let's put that up. See, that proves it. And no one bothers to think about the math behind that. And they were very embarrassed and hopefully purchased some calculators. But that's the idea. Wisdom. Quiet words, those are the things that we should listen to. But people are shouting nonsense all over the media. And we can just buy it all and say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And then, especially with our situation today, where will that lead you? A lot of times to fear, panic, right? You just buy into those things. Listen, listen to the quiet, wise words instead. Don't listen to the shouts of the rulers of fools. Now, look at verse 18. That word fools, I will come back to, is very, very important, and I'm going to point out in just a moment, but I want to move to verse 18. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. So verse 18 concludes the thought. Wisdom proved to be better. It proved to be better when weapons of war, right, because they got out of that situation with the poor wise man. But here's another word play that's taking place here. Uh, The word better, we've seen this before with all those better than better than, better than phrases earlier on. It's that word tov. Um, and it's the same word as the word for good. One sinner destroys much good. It's tov. And so wisdom, tov, or, or good, and one sinner destroys much tov or good. You see the word play he's done there? Wisdom is a great thing. It's a good thing, but one sinner can destroy that good thing is the idea. And the question is how? How is wisdom, wisdom, God's wisdom, how is that bested in the world? Ultimately, by folly, by the fools. Folly, fools, or foolishness is used more than 10 times in this passage. As we read it through, you probably saw it. Fools, folly, foolishness, right? It's all through this. And the primary word used for fools in this passage is, the, the, is first seen in verse 17. Words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard, rather than the shout of a ruler of fools. This word is kesil, kesil. Now, this is a very important word. It does mean fool. It does mean stupid fellow. It does mean arrogant one. But it's used 50 times, over 50 times in Proverbs. And every time it's used, it carries with it the sense of godlessness. When you see the wisdom contrasted with foolishness or the wise contrasted with the fool in the book of Proverbs, it's, it's contrasting the spiritual with the godless. That's what it's contrasting. It's not talking about just being stupid. Right? It's talking about a godlessness. Now, here, it's used four times in our passages. The first time here in verse 17, we'll see it in chapter 10, verse 2, verse 12, and verse 15. It's the same words, kasil. And I point it out because there will be another word for fool, and it will be a different word. But this word is the, the idea that it, there's godlessness behind it. Because there's just a basic godlessness behind those rulers that are just shouting all the information today, They're not thinking with God's wisdom, so they're thinking in fear, they're thinking in man's wisdom, and that's why we're getting the decisions we're getting made. 
And that's why I said, you've got to be very careful to listen to all the shouts of the rulers of fools. Don't, don't buy in to everything that you're hearing. Be cautious. Now, the other word that's used for fool, I'm going to point out right now just for you, is sakal. And you'll see it there in verse 3 to begin with. That's the first time we see it. Um, it's actually used twice in verse 3. Sakal. And that, that just means fool or foolish. That's what that means. So it doesn't have necessarily the, uh, uh, the godless connotation, but the godless act foolish. Does that make sense? So they're putting the two words together to get a point across. And that's only used six times in the Old Testament. And four of them show up in here in the Ecclesiastes. And I wanted to point out where it's been used so far. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 19. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will rule over all my labor in which I toiled and in which I have shown myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. If you think back to that passage, Solomon's talking about, I'm going to have to leave all my money behind, and who knows if that guy's just going to be a fool. He's not talking about godlessness there. He's talking about if he's just going to be stupid with his money. That's that word fool, okay? That's just being foolish with money. It was used back in chapter 7, verse 17. Don't be overly wicked, nor be foolish. Again, that makes more sense, right? He's not using the fool that means godless because then it'd be almost repetitive. Don't be overly wicked and don't be godless. No, don't be overly wicked and don't be stupid. Why? Because you should die before your time if you're that way. Does that make sense? So it's a different use of fool. But here's where it really comes through. Two times it's used in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter four, verse 22. For my people are foolish. They've not known me. They are silly children and they have no understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good, they have no knowledge. That is a good example of that word for foolish. They just do silly things. Like silly children, they do silly things. I talk a lot about foolishness in the parenting class, uh, that you have to be careful to discern between child, childishness, childishness, if I can't say the word, and foolishness, right? There's a difference between those two things and how to discipline regarding that. Jeremiah 5.21 is the other place where it's used. Hear this now, O foolish people, without understanding, who have eyes and see not, and who have ears and hear not. So Jeremiah uses the word there, too, to speak of just the foolishness of the uh, Israelites. Now, the following verses, so we've kind of, this is really just an introduction here. With the following verses going into chapter 10 now, give different examples of the vulnerability of wisdom. We talked about how great wisdom was here in the end of chapter uh, 9. But going into chapter 10, he's going to show us, and this is where really all the fully, folly and foolish words are going to come up here, how, how folly can ruin wisdom in some way. And so those will be the points that will come up. Um, and uh, the first one is this. Folly can ruin wisdom's reputation. Folly can ruin wisdom's reputation. Look at verse 1 of chapter 10. Dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment. Say that 10 times fast, will you? And they cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. So you have this man who is respected for wisdom and he's respected for honor. He's like a box of precious, sweet, swelling, smelling ointment. He's a, it's, it's pleasing. It's, it's valuable. It is his reputation that that he earns as a result of exercising wisdom. If you remember back to chapter 7, verse 1, Solomon said a good name is better than precious ointment. You remember that? It was the whole better than section that talked about your reputation, right? Your reputation is better than or more valuable than um, this precious ointment. Well, now he's kind of just given us this idea here with this wise man, okay? Dead flies will putrefy the perfumer's ointment. What is he saying here? Well, you make a small mistake. If you're a wise man and you're respected for honor, just a little folly, just a small mistake, and it becomes a blemish to him. That's the idea. It spoils the value of his wisdom, and the result is something less attractive. In fact, it may may even repel. Now, here we have this word, folly. In verse 1, so does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. Now, this is a different word. It's secluth, secluth, and it means foolishness, okay? It's also a word that's only used in Ecclesiastes. It's used seven times, but what he's talking about here, it's a foolish act, okay? A foolish act. Even a wise person can be foolish, and it can ruin his reputation. King David was a pretty wise man. 
and he was the apple of God's eye. He was a man after God's own heart. Yet a little folly, a little foolishness with Bath, Bathsheba, right? And then all, obviously the subsequent sins that followed to cover up his foolishness. And, and it blemished him. It blemished his career. It blemished his character and his reputation. How does something like that happen to a wise man? Well, verse 2. Wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart at his left. Interesting. So both wisdom and folly are mentioned here, um, and they're both tracked back to the heart. Do you notice that? One's in the right hand and one's in the left, but they both go to the heart, which is very important because it's the nature of the heart that produces the problem. It's the nature of the heart where we get folly from. It's also the nature of the heart where we get wisdom from. They go back to the heart. Now, why is one in the right and one in the left? Is it just because the right-handed are more, I mean, sorry for you left-handers. I don't know what to tell you. You're stuck with folly. Um, No, not what he's saying. Um, The right hand was associated with strength, which saves and which protects in the Old Testament. Psalms speaks of it all the time. In Psalm 16:8, David says, I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved, right? That's the idea there. He won't be moved because that's the God who saves him. Psalm 16:8. Another Psalm, Psalm 121, verse 5. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. So he's your protector, right? Shade is a good protection from the effects of the sun. And so he's your protector at the right hand. And that's the idea. The wise, ha- the wise are, are, are carrying their heart at their right hand. Um, Proverbs 16, 21, if you want to kind of look at the word prudent again, says the wise in heart will be called prudent. Goes back to the heart. The wise in heart will be called prudent. But what about the fool's heart? The fool's heart is at his left hand. Uh, The fool lacks sense. Look what it says here in verse uh, 3. Even when a fool walks along the way, he lacks wisdom, and he shows everyone that he is a fool. The fool lacks sense here. Now, we've been talking about wisdom all through uh, Ecclesiastes. It's, it's, it's one word. It's, I don't have it up here, but it's, it's chokmah. It's, it's wisdom. It's, it's skill. It's, it's prudence. It's shrewdness. It's all those things that we're talking about here. But here it says this about a fool. When a fool walks along the way, he lacks wisdom. Well, that word for wisdom isn't that wisdom. It's lave. And it is the word that's used 600 times in the Old Testament. It speaks of the inner man, the mind, the will, the heart. Super common word. You see it all the time in the Old Testament. What he literally is saying is here, his heart is is lacking. He doesn't just lack wisdom. He lacks the heart because his heart is in the wrong hand. His heart is in the wrong place. And so he walks along the way without consulting his inner man. His inner deficiency then comes out and it's in the open and he shows it to everyone. And everyone can see that he's a fool. That's the idea there. You know that great verse in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life, right? Everything comes from uh, the heart. Well, if you have your heart at your left side, you're having the springs of life located in a place that, that is, is unpractical. You can't even access it. And it leads to incompetence. Folly can ruin wisdom's reputation. Why? Because it's seen by all. Everyone will see it. And so we have to remember, folly is also very powerful. Wisdom has great strength, but it doesn't take much folly to knock wisdom off its top shelf. It can ruin reputation. Secondly, folly can reign in high places. It can ruin reputation, but it can reign in high places. And Solomon gives us an example here in verse 4. If the spirit of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your post, for conciliation pacifies great offenses. Now, obviously, fool, folly is ruling in the heart of, of this, this ruler because this guy is giving into anger, okay? The spirit of the ruler rises against you. This is a, an angry ruler. What should you do? How do you react to that? Well, there's deliberate wordplay here, and it's on the double meaning of the words leave and pacifies. The word is yanach, yanach, and I'd love to get that in that. <clears throat> but it has two meanings. 
Okay, do not leave. Well, one of the meanings is to leave or to abandon your post. For conciliation pacifies great offenses. Well, that word can mean rest as well. So Solomon purposely puts this word in. It has two meanings, and he uses both uh, meanings. Okay, don't yanak your post. Don't leave your post. Don't resign from your position because the the ruler is, is angry. Instead, keep a calm head, cool composure, and it will pacify or give rest to great offenses. That's the idea there. Proverbs 16, 14 says, as messengers of death is the king's wrath, but a wise man will appease it, (laughs) right? The king's wrath is a messenger of death. Death is coming to you. But if you can appease that wrath, well, then you've stopped the messengers of death. That's that spirit of cool and calmness, right? Don't leave your post. So this this is how wisdom can protect you when folly is ruling in high places. Don't panic in fear. And then don't desert in bitterness. Keep your cool. Keep calm. And now he reveals what folly has done. Verse 5, there's an evil I've seen under the sun as an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in great dignity while the rich sit in a lowly place. I've seen servants on horses while princes walk on the ground like servants. So what is this talking about? Well, the idea here is, is... Folly reigning in great dignity is that we're seeing a reversal of orders here of the roles um, that comes maybe when, when there's folly reigning or, or the whimsy of one who rules without the wisdom, okay? It's just whatever they decide to do. And the reason they, that he lists these things is because the general order of things in the Near East, in that culture, right, was that if, if you were looking for those that were wise, well, you'd probably find them in the royal court. They would probably be the ones that were wealthy, that they were men of influence, right? And, and, and here everything is reversed, right? The rich are in the lowly places. The servants are on the horses. The princes are walking on the ground. It is a social upheaval that's caused by those that are not equipped with wisdom and experience in high places. So they've switched it all around and they're just using, I think back to Jeroboam, right? When we got all the young advisors around, he said, hey, what should I do? You know, should I make this more difficult on everybody? Should I make it less difficult? All the experienced advisors said, oh, you know, you should, you know, ease back and make the burden light on the people. And all the young, inexperienced people that had no, they said, oh, make it harder. And he did that. And the kingdom was divided because of that wisdom that he accepted. So this is speaking of that same ruler. He's, he's the one that's angry. He's the one that kind of just shifts it all around from what the norm is. And it's just a great error because he's not using Wisdom. Well, we can see folly in high places. We can see uh, wisdom not reigning there. Absolutely. And will that cause, uh, will that be cause and effect? Will that affect us? Absolutely it will. We need, we need wise rulers. We need mature uh, rulers. Now, here's another point. He goes on. He's just kind of hitting all these different places of what, what folly can hinder. Uh, folly can hinder success. It can hinder success. Verses 8 and 9, I love these, I love these verses here. 8 through 11 is the whole section, but 8 and 9. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and whoever breaks through a wall will be bitten by a serpent. <laughs> he who quarries stones may be hurt by them, and he who splits wood may be endangered by it. So Solomon's just giving us some potential dangers inherent in, in daily tasks, right? These are just daily things, uh, digging a pit, tearing down a wall, uh, quarrying stones, splitting logs, there is an inherent danger in just about any task that we uh, do, just about anything. And we've got to exercise wisdom. I sat down at the dinner table after having prepared this sermon, and I wanted some illustrations from the family on this because I, I just knew there were things that would happen on a daily basis that I thought, oh, I, you know, give me some ideas for, for this because one of them is, is uh, you know, we have tile floor. There's an inherent danger in, in, in that every single time we have the kids empty the dishwasher, because some plate or some glass is going to fall from their hand and it meets its end on the tile floor. It does not survive that fall. And I was thinking, like, you know, give me some ideas of that. And as the kids were getting ready to share ideas, Tayden began choking on his food right there. And I was like, yeah, I like that. That's perfect. That's great. There's inherent danger in just daily things like you're chewing your food. Oh, I better Heimlich. No, it wasn't that bad, but he, he quickly recovered there. But there is, right? There's an inherent danger just about anything we do. That's what he's listing here. These are common sort of everyday type of things, at least in that, uh, that time. Maybe not many of you are quarrying stone or splitting logs today. But that was a common thing then. What, what's, he, what's he say here? Go to verse 10. 
if the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength. But wisdom brings success. Here, wisdom is applied to just the log splitting. So he just picked one of those tasks, and he focused on that. He's like, let's look at the log splitting, for example. Okay? When wisdom is applied, the man is, is, is safer from harm, and the task is easier. I don't know if you've ever tried to split a log with a blunt axe. It's very painful because you feel it a lot more, all right? and it doesn't feel very good. So there's potential for harm, but also your, your work is going to take a lot a lot more effort, isn't it? Uh, and and, and it, 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 um, you may not even get done with the idea. When I was a, a, a grip before um, I was called into the ministry, um, there was a phrase we often used in, the, in that work was work smarter, not harder. Work smarter, not harder. James is laughing because you guys probably use it too, right? Because a lot of young, you know, impetuous men would come in and they're just, they're, they want to impress the, you know, the bosses. And so they get to doing all this stuff. And you're like, hey, um, that has wheels. Why are you carrying it? Right, you know, it's those kind of things, right? Work smarter, not harder. Another one I use, I use still today, is we need the tools to succeed, right? I always use that, I need the tools to succeed. I need things that will help me accomplish what I'm trying to accomplish. And when wisdom is used, then we can have success. Um, When it's not, and folly abounds, not only will you not succeed, but you'll most likely be be hurt in the process. And that's the idea uh, here, there are everyday things that we may try to accomplish, and we just simply won't pl- apply wisdom, and we just make it, you know, harder on our, ourselves. Everyday things, everyday things, and so we have uh, a lot of uh, a lot of new dangers that are in the world today. We say new, but they're not really. I mean, we we've had viruses and flus and things going around, and people die from those too, don't they? But um, we we have gone out of the practice of just exercising prudence in that. Uh, Dave, Dave Farnham has shared with me that several occasions, that, you know, he's, to be fair, a germaphobe. Like, he just does not want to touch germs, right? But he, he was telling me, he's probably listening, going, oh, I can't believe you shared that. Um, he was telling me, though, that he's got a coworker. The guy will not wash his hands when he leaves the toilet. He just won't do it. And now with this new, you know, pandemic, he was, dude, wash your hands. And the guy still, still won't do it. He's just fallen out of practice of just the everyday, normal, prudent things that we should do. We have everyday, normal tasks that he lists here, and there's inherent danger of those if they just don't exercise prudent. How, how will you fall into a pit if you've dug it? Well, probably because you didn't quarter it off with a nice bright colored rope, right? And then you've gone away to lunch and you come back and whoa, you fall into it. Just not wise. Same thing with like, why we, we should wash our hands. Isn't it interesting that that's the, the top medical experts coming to you like, oh, here's you have a quiet one. How do, we, how do we combat this amazing virus that's killing me? Well, I think we should... Uh, Wash our hands. Right, right, yeah. He's right, though, because we've gotten out of the habit of washing our hands. It's just the practical things, right? And being healthy, being clean. We've got to be careful. That is wisdom applied here. Proverbs 22.3 says, A prudent man foresees evil, and he hides himself. But the simple pass on and are punished. You know, there is a balance we have to strike here. I have talked to people, and they are... Like, oh, you know, we just need to just trust God with this. Just trust God. We do trust him because we don't run in fear. That's how we're trusting him. We're not panic buying, hopefully. Those are the things that show not trust. Those are the things that show not trust. But would I be prudent to wash my hands? Would I be prudent to maybe, uh, especially if I'm a, a vulnerable person, to not go to places where maybe I could get that? That's the idea. A prudent man foresees that evil and hides himself. Doesn't have less faith exercising wisdom and prudence. Do you see the difference there? Because I'm hearing both sides from Christians, and they're like, oh, no, that's just not, but they're not showing faith. They're not showing faith. Like, well, hold on. <laughs> hold on. They've got to be wise as well. I have faith because I trust that the Lord is in this whole thing, and I'm not going to run in fear. I'm not going to panic. In fact, I want to just give you a couple things. I, I, we were just praying about this over here in our group, but I think if you want to stand out above the crowd, if you want people asking them why you're responding the way you're responding, then you should be responding differently in some way, right? So how could you respond differently if you're in the store grabbing all the toilet paper you can, right? And all the Lysol you can, right? What if you were, what if you were outside the stores and you were giving that stuff away? And they're like, they probably want, you know, how much you want for this stuff, right? You, no, you were just giving it away. Would that not cause people to come to you and say, why are you doing this? Oh, uh, you know, just want to bless you. I hope, you know, hope you have everything you need. 
right? That, that, that's the idea. We should do things that make us stand out and not um, look like everybody else. There's, there's problems everywhere. There's danger inherent in just everything. We have, uh, exercise prudence, absolutely, but we can still show our faith in God. Verse 11, <clears throat> a serpent may bite when it is not charmed. The babbler is no different. I, I, love, I actually love this verse a lot. Serpent may bite when it's not charmed and a babbler is no different. Not only should we exercise wisdom, but you need to exercise it at the proper time. If you have the ability to charm a snake, good for you. Any snake charmers in the room, by the way? No, okay, no, one. I didn't think anyone here. Um, you know, if you're able to handle a difficult matter like that, like being able to charm a snake, that's great. But if you're not prompt in charming that snake, you'd be bitten by it, right? So there's also timing. You'll still fail. Uh, the babbler here means uh, tongue or master of the tongue. This is very interesting what he's trying to do here. What does that mean? Well, look at that phrase in verse 10, bring success. Do you see that? But wisdom brings success. That is that word we pointed out a ton of times already in um, Ecclesiastes that is translated as prophet, your throne, prophet, or advantage. Okay, we've seen it several times. What is a prophet under the sun? What is a prophet? That's that word. Wisdom brings advantage. Okay, now that um, is the word we're looking at. Now, it's the same word translated as different in verse 11. The babbler is no different. So wisdom brings an advantage, but if the snake bites the charmer before it's charmed, then there's no advantage to the charmer. That's the idea, right? He's the master of the tongue, but he didn't prove to be master of much because he didn't move quick enough, right? That's the idea. So here's, that's more of his little wordplay uh, there. There is advantage to wisdom, but it really becomes no advantage if you didn't exercise your uh, wisdom at the right time. Now, notice what Solomon does here. He speaks of this snake charmer, and then he segues into speaking about the tongue, something that you can possibly cannot control, right? Can you rule the tongue? Well, folly can rule the tongue. That's another point here. Folly can rule the tongue. Look at verse 12. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool shall swallow him up. Now, all of wisdom literature deals with the tongue sooner or later. All of it does. You go to Proverbs, you go to Ecclesiastes, you go to any of these wisdom literature pieces, Job, you're going to see the tongue come into play at some point. Why is that? Because it is the acid test for wisdom. If you're using wisdom, the words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, it says here. Proverbs 22.11 says, he who loves purity of heart and has grace on his lips, the king will be his friend. Grace on your, your lips, that's the idea here. So the wise man has a mouth that is gracious, and we're supposed to have mouths like that, aren't we? Paul says in Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers, right? Wisdom is with you if you are speaking with that kind of edification, imparting grace to those. What about the fool? Well, the, the lips of the fool swallow him up. Uh, it says, the lips of a fool swallow him up. That means they consume his character, his reputation, um, and thus that hinders his impact for good. But if you're wise with your words and gracious, you have great, great impact for good. You can make great impact. But what about the fool and his tongue? Is it, is it difficult to tame the tongue? Doesn't James talk about how difficult it is to tame the tongue? Let's take a quick look at it. James, go to the right hand, all the way to the end of your Bibles, really, uh, Hebrews, and then James chapter 3. James chapter 3 famously speaks about the untamable tongue. And again, this is no coincidence. He talks about being able to tame or charm a snake, right? And then he goes into this idea about the tongue. James chapter 3, verse 2. He says this, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, so in your speech, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn the whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles? And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body 
and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. Those are some harsh words about the tongue. But he's just talking about the, the power of the tongue. How does it defile the whole body? Well, look at verse 13. Go back to Ecclesiastes here. Look at verse 13. The words of his mouth begin with foolishness, and the end of his talk is raving madness. The words of his mouth begin with foolishness, and the end with uh, madness. Now, this is talking about the source, the beginning and the end. In fact, the beginning and the end is a very important thing. We'll look at this in a minute, but he's talking about the source. The source of the foolish talk is traced to his heart, okay, with foolishness. That's that word secluth that we saw as folly in chapter 1. It's the same word, okay? The foolishness or folly of David's act that we looked at with Bathsheba. Where do foolish words begin? According to Matthew 12, 34, Jesus says it, brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The mouth speaks from what's in the heart, and so you see here the beginning, the the foolish, uh, sorry, the words of the foolish mouth. They begin somewhere. Well, they begin the heart, and the end of his talk is raving madness. The beginning and the end is a is a merism. We we talked about that before. It's a it's it's talking about polar opposites, beginning and end, and to communicate the whole totality. It's saying from start to finish, from start to finish, his speech is madness, even though that's the case. He's ignorant of his condition, and so he continues to speak because he's a fool. Verse 14, a fool also multiplies his words. (laughs) No man knows what is to be. Who can tell him what will be after him? So the multiplying of his words is an example of his ignorance. He has many words, but limited understanding, right? Many words. He's ignorant of the future. No one can tell him what will be after him. No one knows the future, right? No one controls the time. Uh, The wise man knows that, but the fool, he wearies himself trying to figure it out. And that's verse 15. The labor of fools wearies them, for they do not even know how to go to the city. That's kind of a really big stab, actually, there. He's wearying himself with trying to, to figure these figure out life, right? We've been talking about the providence of God, trying to map all that out. But he's so bad at that because he doesn't understand God's providence, he couldn't make a map to the city. You see that? He doesn't even know how to go to town because he's so filled with foolishness. It's coming from the heart. And folly, ruling the tongue, leads people that way. Now, the final one is really the climax, and this is this. Folly can impact a nation. Folly can impact a nation. It's the, the, the impact of the negative, a negative impact of folly, right? It can negatively impact a nation, not positively impact a nation. There's a way of woe and a way of blessing described here. Look at verse 16. Well, and 17, we'll read both. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobles and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. You know what a nation needs? A nation needs a mature and wise leader. But a nation who has a child as a king... Um, Someone young, someone, someone immature, they, they, whose princes are drinking early in the morning, right? This is the idea here. Um, it, illustrates, it illustrates this self-indulgent, slothful approach to life. And he says, woe to that land, because they've got the wrong rulers. Folly is ruling in the heart of this, this guy. His princes are feasting at all, all hours, right? And for drunkenness. But... That lazy, immature, self-indulgent uh, person, um, how does that affect the land? Well, it says laziness, verse 18, because of laziness, the building decays. And through the idleness of hands, the house leaks. So you have, you have the, the, the foolish leader. He's young. He's immature. Their princes are feasting at all times. But the, the wise one is the, is the king who's the son of nobles. The princes are feasting at the proper time. They're feasting for, for strength and not for uh, drunkenness. And the idea is this, the negligence of lazy, and laziness of leaders, they, it can lead to, to ruin of the state. It can lead to loss of protection. It can lead to sagging rafters and a leaky roof, right? That's what he's saying. <laughs> and that's, that folly is summed up in verse 19. A feast is made for laughter, and wine makes merry, but money answers everything. What is he saying 
uh, here. I've, I've seen people take this out of context and see, look, the Bible says money answers everything, right? Now, hopefully, you've been following along. You can see what the context is here. This is a fol- the folly of a foolish leader, and they're young, and they're mature. And here, the feast is made for laughter, and wine makes merry, but money answers everything. A more literal translation means this, for, they, they la- for, for they, the laughter, they prepare food. So they prepare it not to just have sustenance, but for laughter, for gaiety, right? Wine that brings joy to the living, and money meets the demands of both. Money meets the demands of both. It answers both. What's implied here? Money that could have been used to repair the nation that's in ruin, to fix the leaky roof, and all those, the defenses and all those things was squandered with frivolous living. Money literally meets all their demands. It answers everything. It's this idea. It's this limited horizon. They've got bread, wine, money. So for the mind of a fool, that's all they need. Money answers all their problems, right? I've got the money. Let me just use that to solve the problem. No wisdom needs to be applied here. Let's just, let's just spend the money. Let's just throw money at that problem. Do we see rulers doing that, right? Let's not think this through. Let's just throw money, money we don't have toward that. And what happens to the nation? It sinks deeper into decay and into ruin. Money does not answer everything, but the folly of rulers is that they believe it does. Many a nation has seen its leadership squander money on frivolous things. And if that's the case, what might we be tempted to do? We might be tempted to curse them and badmouth them. And so verse 20 is for us. Do not curse the king, even in your thought. Do not curse the rich, even in your bedroom. For a bird of the air may carry your voice, and a bird in flight may tell the matter. National uh, laziness immaturity, uh, indulgence, uh, all of that calls for just a submissive approach. It gives us prudent reasons for, for obedience here. And this verse advises us to guard our mouths when we might be tempted to uh, maybe to revile the leadership, even to guard our thoughts. It says don't even think it, to not even think those bad thoughts. Wisdom would dictate that. And why? Why does he say that? You ever heard that phrase, oh, a little bird told me? This is where that comes from. It comes from this verse. The thought is this, that your words uttered even in secret could reach the ears of the king or the one that you're, you're talking bad about. It will come through un, some unknown source, the little bird, is the idea. And living in, a, in an autocratic and you know, corrupt state like this one is described here uh, will reap results. And we, we just, we've got to have the right attitude through that, and it isn't to, to just be disgruntled and badmouth the leadership. Because you go back to where we were before, and God has placed those in control. Has any. Like, they have that power because God has put them there. What's the conclusion here? What's the whole point? Well, with all that's been said about wisdom and folly through this whole thing, the main lesson is still really the same kind of point. We've got to take our life from day to day from the sovereign hand of God, and we've got to exercise wisdom through it. I want to close with Ephesians chapter 5. I have it up here, so you don't have to turn to it. This is the perfect idea. Verses 15 to 17, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We've got to walk circumspectly during this time. And I've already mentioned some ways in which we're to do that. But how do we redeem the time? What if you are self-isolated? What if you have to do that? How could you redeem the time there? Is that the time to binge on Netflix and eat uh, tons of Ben and Jerry's ice cream, right? Is there a better way to redeem the time, though? Would that not be wonderful time that you normally don't have in your busy week to really catch up on your reading in Scripture and spend time with the Lord, right? Uh, Could we not find better ways to redeem that time? The days are evil, but we have to be wise and not unwise. And he says, understand what the will of the Lord is. What is the will of the Lord for you? Even in the dark times that we see, what is his will for you? What does he want from you? Yeah, you get the virus. What, what would God's purpose be in that? Could you not look at it that way? How can I redeem this time, Lord? What do you want from me? Martin Luther, and I believe it was Martin Luther, I read it this week, was writing to John Hess, who was another pastor who was martyred, about the Black Plague that they were going through. 
And he began with how he was going to be prudent. He was going to fumigate. He was going to air things out. He was going to disinfect. He was going to clean. He was not going to go anywhere. He was not needed. But if his neighbor called for him, he would go. That was his advice. I'm going to take the necessary precautions I need to go take. I'll not go where I'm not needed. I'm not going to go and just be, I'm not going to just go to, go to the mall because I need to go to the mall and I want to spend time. But if I'm needed by a neighbor, well, that's where I'm going to trust the Lord and that's where I'm going to go and that's how I'm going to go serve. We need to be wise and we have to understand what is the Lord's will in all of this? Redeem the time. It's for his glory even during this time. Amen. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much, Lord, that these wise words of Solomon would be so relevant to us today that we can see the danger, the the negative impact of folly around us and how important it is that we exercise wisdom, how we exercise prudence and be cautious in um, how we react to the things around us, not to jump at every word that is shouted from the mouths of fools, that we would look at the time that is now that you still govern and see what would your will be during this time? How would you want us to live? Are we still going through this just to act like everybody else? Or should we react differently? Oh, Lord, we want to be shining lights for you in this dark time. Would you help us to have the wisdom to see how to do that, Lord? To walk circumspectly, as we were told here, Lord, to be wise. We want to honor you. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for giving us your word that we might have a a light for us uh, to light the way in these times. We pray that you continue to just bless us and guide us and direct us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.